DJ, PK, and Ryan Abraham join us from uscfootball.com. He is on the Sprint Special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. You guys ready for some football? Absolutely. USC is game three. Uh, the Game three in the USC schedule is BYU. Game four is Utah. So we're going to be seeing a lot of the Trojans. And I'm curious now, we've talked to other people who, you know, write, they have national websites, magazines, whatever. And one guy we had on recently, we were talking to him, he said, Utah's slam dunk to win the South. And I said, what about USC? And he said, you know, everyone's talking about the air raid and the offensive coaches, and that is a change, and it may not, you know, they may not hit the ground running, and they've got the Stanford game early and the Utah game early and all that. He said, but everybody's overlooking the fact that, they lost five really good players off the defense. And, you know, they got guys playing in the NFL who helped them a year ago. And that is going to be a huge problem. Are you buying that? Or is the defense going to be just fine? Yeah, no, I think that's a legitimate concern. I mean, some real senior leaders. And now you got, I think, four senior defensive players total. And like one of them's probably not going to be playing much. So there's not a lot of senior leadership there. You lose, you know, highly productive guys, especially in the secondary, Jenny Harris and Iman Marshall and Marvell Tell. And a guy like Porter Gustin, when he was healthy, was just out there as a sack machine. They've tried to change things up a little bit. They're going to play a simpler style of defense because they know they have younger guys out there. And all the players we talked to say that, yeah, it's just you kind of run around getting to the football more as opposed to trying to read it and react. And the, the secondary, I think, would be the biggest concern because they lost so many bodies there. And a bunch of the guys that are coming back, we're coming off injuries, multiple shoulder surgeries or, you know, broken clavicles, things like that. But they've all looked pretty good in the fall, and all the freshmen come in have played pretty well. So I think that there's a deep enough group uh, in the secondary that you don't have to be as concerned. The front seven, I think, is pretty deep. But how they all kind of play and gel together certainly could be a legitimate concern. It's not a mass change like you saw on the offensive side of the ball, but they are trying to simplify things, play a little bit different front with an extra guy with his hand on the ground, that's how they're trying to combat that. But you're right. I mean, losing a lot of veteran leadership from last year could be a legitimate concern. So I was down in uh, Hollywood last month broadcasting all day at Pac-12 Media Day and all the, brought all the coaches and the players through, and obviously Helton came through. And it seemed to me that he wasn't ready to full-time commit to Daniels as the starting quarterback. And now here we are three weeks later, basically, has there been a commitment? Is he going to be the starting quarterback, or because he's still mentioning a couple other guys plus a new guy? No, he's still mentioning everybody, and I think that's been one of the themes. Last year, there was some criticism on the coaching staff for playing like a guy like center Toa Lobendon, who was not snapping the ball well and, and making JT Daniels kind of reach all over the place just to get the play started. Um, I think now they've said, okay, every position's up for grabs. It's a competition, and I think they're taking that almost to an extreme at the quarterback spot. Graham Harrell said he'd like to know after next weekend's scrimmage. They're doing one August 17th. He thinks he'd have a pretty good idea who the quarterback will be at that point. But Clay Allen keeps saying it might take all the practices up until the Fresno State game. I think we'll know probably after next week, like a week from today, uh, we'll probably know who the quarterback is. But if you looked at the scrimmage from over the weekend, all the quarterbacks do well. I guess that's one of the hard things about this. It's a very quarterback-friendly offense, and everyone's going to look pretty good as opposed to like last last spring and and last fall like JT Daniels looked pretty good but in the spring both Matt Fink and Jack Sears 
didn't look very good. They opened up the door for JT Daniels to come in and win in the fall. Now all these guys, even Keaton Slovis, the, the incoming freshman, they all look really good uh, in this offense. So it makes it a little bit tougher choice. But a guy with 11 starts under his belt, I agree with you. I think he's going to be named the starter. They just haven't done it yet, probably next week. So is the offense really taking hold, or is that still a big question mark? Are they going to be able to hit the ground running because the schedule just isn't very forgiving? No, it's a very tough schedule to start. You know, the the good part is for them is that it, it's really easy to install. In the spring, they did it in three three practices. So they got to, you know, go over it five times, basically, uh, in the 15 practices. They had a now, I think, they didn't have as many wide receivers healthy. They didn't have as many defensive backs to go against that were healthy. Now they have all that. So I think this is the time where you can kind of get a real, they're, it's, they're really taking a bite of this offense and you're getting a better feel for it. I think the passing game is there. I'm not sure the running game is. They just, you know, the, the, they've had two like full pads practices, but you know, one scrimmage, and we just haven't seen outside of uh, Marquis Step, the sophomore, um, you know, much in the running game going. And you know, Marquis Step is like a 230 pound back, which you typically don't have in this type of offense. And maybe that's kind of leftover offensive line blocking from last year. I'm not sure, but I think the running game hasn't been there yet. That might be the slowest to come through. But as far as the passing game goes, it seems like they've hit the ground running with that. But as the whole offense working together, I don't think it's all there yet. Well, the, the, the run game is interesting because you look at SC historically, obviously they've run games, student body left and right and all that stuff has been great through the years. But, you know, you bring in a leech guy and Graham Hurl, as the offensive coordinator, it's known for the air raid, not the run raid. And then you look <laughs> at these receivers. I mean, I can go and name you Pittman and Vaughns and St. Brown. And, I mean, all these guys, all three of them are studs. And, you know, they got a kid named Kyle Ford. I'm not sure about Brew McCoy, if he's transferred back to SC or what day it is and far as uh, if he's eligible or if he transferred someplace else. So I don't know where he's going to be. But I look at that pass game figuring, well, with this Harold's offense, they should be able to throw the ball because that's where their talent lies. So I'm not actually expecting a whole lot of – production out of the run game with this offense with the air raid and all with the quarterback and the receivers how much production can we expect anyway even if it's at its best through the run game yeah you know and, and i think it, it's a great point because the re- receivers are so deep um you know, i'm St. brown just could be an all-american this year and you know michael Pittman's a senior tyler vaughn's and all those guys you mentioned drake london's a six five incoming freshman that plays basketball who's looked awesome out there um so they have a lot of receivers, you know, the young guys and stuff coming in. But if you looked at this offense from last year uh, at North Texas, uh, they ran the ball for almost 2,000 yards. They do want – it's not a 70% pass kind of offense. I think it will be adjusted somewhat at USC. And it, maybe they even throw it a little bit more at USC than they did at North Texas last year. Uh, but it's not going to be a pure, like, Mike Leach sort of air raid. But Clay Hilton does want to establish – depending on the matchup, too, which game you're in – he wants to be able to make sure that this team is able to run the football. And I think they got good running backs with Stephen Carr and Marquis Stepp and Levi Malpei, but I'm not sure with the offensive line yet if it's going to be there. I think they can hold their blocks for the, the pass game, but are they going to be able to muscle people through and pick up three, four yards when you need to in the run game? It's hard to say. They're going to want to do it, but if they're not having success, maybe they do move towards – throwing the ball more, you know, 65, 70% of the time, even though that wasn't the plan coming in. I, I think that might be something that develops throughout the year. They do expect that they wanted to have a run game. Uh, USC fans, like you said, the 
didn't buy left, didn't buy right. They don't want to abandon the run game, but this is going to be an offense, I think, that's really more pass-happy, I think, than even they thought it was going to be just because that's where most of their talent lies. You know, it's so hard to figure stuff out during scrimmages. Guys are held out. Defenses can be vanilla. Quarterbacks can't be hit. Sometimes you just kind of have to read the tone and body language of what coaches say to get a read on their level of confidence and their expectations going into a season. And I'm curious what you think about that. You know, obviously we don't have a lot of exposure here, but I think a lot of people came away from Pac-12 media days thinking that the body language for Clay Helton wasn't great. Man, maybe, you know, he just had a bad breakfast that day. Who knows? How, how have you read it? What have you seen these last couple weeks? You know, it's interesting because I think they could have made some changes after 2017. They uh, didn't, you know, they won the Pac-12, but they didn't look good against the power opponents like uh, Notre Dame and, and especially Ohio State and the Cotton Bowl, and he didn't make changes. I feel like last year after 5-7, and seven, he was sort of forced to make the changes, and you weren't really sure – is he going to embrace them? But from what we've seen in the camp, I think he has embraced the changes. I, I know he feels really comfortable doing things the way he's always done them, but I, I, the changes were sort of forced on him, but I feel like he's embraced them pretty well. Um, I, I'm curious to see if that's going to stay throughout, you know, the, if they have a, they struggle early in that tough part of the schedule and he kind of wants to go back to tinkering with the offense or anything like that. But from what I've seen so far, it's not, I don't think it's been the best body language, but I feel like the changes have been made. Maybe he didn't like them at first, but he's sort of like, hey, this is the way it has to be. I know he wants to, you know, it's a $3 million a year job. He would love to keep it, but there was no way he was going to be able to keep it if he, if he kept uh, standing pat and doing things the way they were before. So I think it's not been terrible, uh, the body language and stuff, but um, just it's more of like a, an acceptance that's happened that he knows if he doesn't do this, he's really not going to be the head coach much longer. So you look at defense and, you know, you see that they're starting a bunch of young guys, not just new guys, but young guys, potentially anyway, unless it's changed since I last looked on the defensive backfield. And so, you know, you have some concerns there, and I'm sure there's talent, uh, but obviously that can be mitigated with a pass rush. And as I look up front with Rector, a local kid here, Tufele and Tui Pelotu, the down linemen, and then with linebackers, uh, they, they got uh, a couple of guys' experience, but you mentioned losing Gustin. The point I'm at getting at is how much pressure are they going to be able to make get on the quarterback to make it easier for the guys in the back? Yeah, I, th- I like the defensive tackle spot. I mean, Jay Tefele was a five-star coming in who ended up redshirting. I think he's like he's changed his body in the offseason. He looks like he looked like a Utah kind of guy, you know, like someone like, hey, this guy's going to come in, you know, where he's from. But he's, he's someone who's going to come in and just be really productive. Uh, and Brandon Peely, the kid from Alaska, and Marlon, too, Palopdu, I think between those three guys at the defensive tackle spot, they'll be able to rotate him in. I think Kristen Rector did really well at, when he wasn't hurt filling in for Porter Gustin. And him with his hand on the ground, I think, will help generate a lot of pressure. But the guy you want to watch for is number 99, Drake Jackson, an incoming freshman. It's actually, you know, he's been wowing everybody. And I, I think between those guys up front and then bringing maybe like a, a Hunter Eccles or a Kanai Mauga, like some, some of these guys that are really good rushing off the edge, um, I think they're going to be able to generate a little bit more pressure. I'm not sure if he's going to blitz more um, because they have a younger secondary. They might not uh, rush extra guys as much. So it's going to be up to those guys uh, in the front four trying to generate some pressure. If they don't, I think it's going to be another long year. But there's the talent there. I think they have the potential to. We'll just see what these kind of uh, minute scheme changes, if it's able to help those guys and, and free them up a little bit. 
You know, schemes are good, but if you have enough NFL talent, you're probably going to win a bunch of matchups in a college game, and you're probably going to win a bunch of games regardless of what your scheme is. How many NFL guys are there in USC starting 22, 24 if you want to go with a specialist? Well, that's a that's a really good question. I have to go through it, you know, deep, but I feel like on a, you know the defensive line, like I mentioned, a guy like Jay Tefele, and I think and Brandon Peely can be a um, couple guys in the secondary, really, like like Talanoa Funga. Uh, and uh, and Elijah Griffin's been a cornerback, and he's just been a kind of stud. I'd, I'd probably give you a handful on each side of the ball, maybe like nine or ten, which is pretty good. Uh, there's all those receivers, I think, have the potential there. Um, and there's some that are kind of to be determined. But I would say like nine or ten for sure in the 22, and then if some other guys develop, uh, they would have that potential too. But that's, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think it's as many as like surefire ones as you have seen in years past for USC. And that's, you know, it's kind of, I guess, the sign of the times. Uh, the recruiting hasn't been going as well. And, uh, you know, the big thing has been the player development. If if they have some new coaches that can kind of get the guys in there and develop them better and prepare them for the NFL, then that number could go up. So I'm going to set the standard at eight. Eight is enough. Is it enough to retain Clay Hilton? That's an awesome question, too. I think it depends how you get there. And the first six games are the most important to me because – uh, like a two and four start, and then you, you could easily win the last six games on the schedule. I just don't think that would be enough because then you're not, you know, you're not winning the Pac-12 South. Right. I, I mean, there's scenarios where they could win the South and go eight and four. That that would help. Uh, but if you don't win the South and you go eight and four, and it, really, if if you're on the road at Washington and, and look bad, or you know, on the road at Notre Dame and look bad, I don't think it's easy to recover. They would have to be like tight losses to some of those you know power teams if they lose to utah which you know really could decide the south but it's a really close game that normally are uh but you don't look you don't get embarrassed on the road against some of the power teams i, I think there's potential there but and it depends who you ask i mean I, if you asked me last year five and seven he would have been gone and he wasn't so but i feel like eight and four is sort of that middle ground that if they somehow squeak out the south then maybe it's easier to keep them if yeah. not, and you look bad in some of the great games, I don't, I don't think he sticks around. See, I think that an 0-2 start in conference with, and I've been in the Coliseum over the years, having used to work for the Daily Breeze, to where if they lose that second conference game, which is a home game to Utah, I've seen it before, and I'll probably see it again. They get booed off the field. Yeah, that could easily that could easily happen. And I mean, you can't discount Fresno State and BYU. BYU's on the road. I mean, right. Those are not going to be easy games either. But, yeah, that, the Utah one is probably the most important, you know, the, the, the pick to win the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12. Um, I, I think he kind of needs results this year to keep his job. And if you lose to Utah, like winning the South is pretty much impossible. So I, I, I agree with you there. And it's the newly renovated Coliseum. It's not going to be – they don't have as many seats, 77,000 seats now. If you've got people booing or not showing up after that, it's going to be really tough to, to keep him around. Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. So the way the BYU and Utah games sit on the schedule is the third and fourth games. They they have the opportunity to to wreck Clay Hilton's career right there, depending on how those games go, don't they? 100%. I mean, that, Utah's super important because, obviously, it's for the Pac-12 South. BYU is really important because you look at their out-of-conference games. I mean, they're on the road at Notre Dame. That's tough. Playing a 12-win Fresno State team to open the Coliseum. That's not going to be easy. Jeff Tedford's a great coach. And you saw the way BYU was playing at the end of last year. Um, yeah, I mean that, that super potential there. Losing to BYU would be unacceptable, and it's not like it would be uh, this 
horrible thing, but just the perception there. And I think BYU is going to have a really good team this year. They got to play Tennessee and Washington and Utah to start the season. It's not going to be easy, but if you look at those four games, what's the easiest win for BYU? You're either saying Tennessee on the road in Knoxville, that's not easy, or USC at home. So uh, it, BYU will be fired up for that. If USC's not and they lose, I mean, it's. I think that would be the end for for Clay Helton and. It's not some, you know, it's not some cakewalk game. It's going to be a tough one, but it's it's a must win for Clay Helton. Yeah, you look at SC's schedule. I don't think they play a team with a losing record from last season until halfway through when they get Arizona. So, is it if it is the end of Clay Helton, is it the beginning of Urban Meyer? Uh, that would be uh, out of character for USC <laughs> to hire a guy like Urban Meyer. The last coach that USC hired who had won a national championship before it was Howard Jones in like 1925. So they just haven't <laughs> gone out and done that. Uh, it's the obvious choice because he's an unemployed coach that's working in media in Los Angeles and they would need a coach. Um, it, I think it would take a change in the administration. They have a new president that came in in July. If she, if Carol Folk comes in and, and kind of cleans up the athletic department, there's potential there. But the, the people that make up the athletic department now – I wouldn't see any way possible they'd hire someone as established uh, and as powerful as a guy like Urban Meyer. So I, I don't think it would happen. The question would be is are they going to have to make some kind of move during the season and fire their third coach uh, during the season in a row? Uh, I don't know. But that early part of the schedule, like you mentioned, if it starts off 2-4 and four or something, maybe they do. He's Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. How did you get that website? What a strong domain name you captured there. How'd you do that? That was back in 1997 when there was just stuff available. Yeah, people asked, like, how much did you pay for that? I'm like, 10 bucks. It was like, it was open. So <laughs> that's the back of the day. You know, you got to do it a long time ago. Well, wise investment by you. Ryan, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much.